this and navigate our way through the first portion of Exodus throughout the month of November. Then we're going to get geared up for our holidays. And today we get to, last week we were stopping at the similarities between the Passover lamb, which was associated with the 10th plague. God had told the nation of Israel that through Moses, he was saying, okay, it's time now we are going to walk out of slavery. It's going to happen through the 10th plague. And the 10th plague is going to bring the death angel throughout Egypt. And the firstborn is going to pass in every household that is not covered by the blood of the lamb. Now we know the similarities between Jesus. Paul calls him our Passover lamb in the New Testament. He, we know the similarities like there was no bones to be broken. Both of them was associated with blood and wood. They had to catch the blood of this lamb and kind of use a, a weed like a paintbrush to brush the blood on the doorpost to identify that, that uh, they were the people of God. And we have been covered by the power of the blood of Jesus, which was our Passover lamb, that it, it was implied to set us free from the bondages or the slavery of sin. And so for the first time, we were talking about when this uh, miracle took place where Pharaoh arose about midnight, called for Moses and Aaron to come and said, I need you to leave and I need you to leave right now. And the same Pharaoh that said, I don't even know your God, now by the 10th plague is not only he is very familiar with the power of God, but he is asking for Moses to bless him through the authority of that God. He said, don't leave without blessing me. And not only were, uh, did uh, Pharaoh's heart get moved by the power of God, but also the people of Egypt were so um, hurryful to uh, set these people free. They felt like if they stayed, Egypt was going to be destroyed that the Bible literally says that the Israelites plundered the Egyptians as they left. That means that whatever they were asking for, the Egyptians were willingly giving them so they could leave just to get them out of town. And the Bible says that they were giving them gold, silver, and, and clothing to take with them as they left. So now you have a nation that has been set free by the power of a mighty hand of God. But we have to understand that it is very difficult and there's some necessary changes that have to take place for a group of people that have been uh, bound by slavery for over 400 years. They were going to not only have to change their location, but change their mentality and change their heart. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What's it like to breathe free air? What's it like to be set free by the power of God? We're going to be studying chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Exodus. So would you bow your head? So I, I'm not going to read both chapters in their entirety. I'm going to just quote some of the scriptures as we go through the outline. Let's pray today before I speak. Father, I ask you today for the power of the Holy Spirit to touch our lives. Father, that we should have fellowship in your presence. And Father, I ask you today to help us to continue to move forward. Father, I think that's the call today is to keep moving forward. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said... By this time, I'm hopeful that you know that the meaning of Exodus 
is to leave or exit in mass. That means that we have right now a, a, a conservative estimate of about a million Israelites moving out of the bondages of Egypt. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been to large parades, but it is important for this context of this, this text in these two chapters. But there is a sound that is created that we're going to get to a little later when people step in unison a million at a time. It's thunderous. Sometimes that you have to understand God is doing things that you may not understand. See, somewhere around a million Israelites were leaving Egypt and they had to decide what to take and what to leave. The Bible says in the first scripture that we're going to read about in verse 19, it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. He was telling them Moses was reminded of a covenant promise between the children and the nation of Israel and one of their forefathers, Joseph, which had rescued them from the famine and had been used by God to really identify not only to save Egypt but to save Israel at the same time. We know that there was a seven years of famine followed, or seven years of plenty followed by seven years of severe famine. And Joseph was the one that put things together logistically that they could save up grain and food to be able to withstand the seven years of famine. The Bible was telling us that it is important as we move forward, sometimes not to forget, sometimes there's a difference between remembering and trying to do the same things over and over and over again. See, it is vitally important, especially in our second service, where we have a demographic that's younger and have multi-multi-generations deep. It is very important for them to understand what you've gone through and how you've paid a price to facilitate allowing them to be a part of a heritage and a legacy that you started some 125 plus years ago. It is important for them to understand the impact of the history of this building, the history of this location, this block, this, this property on the corner of 2nd and Jackson Street. It is important for them to know what you've gone through, how you've gotten there. But it is vitally important for you not to condemn them to the bondages of the chains of trying to do it the way you did it 125 years ago. Do you realize that we only do that in special places like church? Remember, we, we want to sometimes remember the legacy by singing the songs of yesterday. Because that's what maybe we were comfortable with when we were experienced for the first time the presence of an almighty God. But you don't do that at your house. Good preaching today. It gets better. Not one single one of you will go over there to your central air and heat and say, I'm not using that today. I'm going to do it like we used to. Let's just open up the windows. Let's just, you know, you remember when you had those jealousy windows and you opened it up and it was 95 degrees outside and it was 98 degrees inside? Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to get on a buggy and drive through town 
following a horse at about eight miles an hour with all the bumps, you want to get in that car. Especially if you're going on a long trip, you want to push that little button that says cruise control. See, it's wonderful to express that we have a heritage and a legacy. It becomes bondage when we continue to try to do something that has, has fulfilled its time and purpose. I can't wait. That's the one thing that is starting to get exciting around CityGate is that we have so many different generations coming together and we are starting to see the benefits of the legacy that we have had that has gone before the younger generation, but yet we are seeing them take the things that we have allowed them to start at. It's like having children with an inheritance. I don't want my kids to start where I did. I want them to start where I end up. I want to give them a platform that they don't have to start from nothing, but I want them to start from where I leave off so they don't have to learn everything that I had to learn through mistakes. I want them to have the benefit of, of, of experience that sometimes they don't have to learn the hard way, but they can learn by just me saying, hey, I tried it that way one time and it didn't work out too good. So there's a thing that they had to take, but there was also something they had to leave. They had to take the bones of, of Joseph but they had to leave a slave mentality. That's the hardest thing for us to break is not the bondages of the sinful nature uh, because that happens through the power of salvation. What, what is more difficult is after we get saved, walking through the changes. Many times I've told you, and I've got to preach in front of my mom and dad today, they were kind of oblivious to some of the things I was dabbling in when I was really walking through my rebellion. I had a horrible language problem. I cussed all the time. All my friends cussed. It was natural to us to use language. And you say, well, pastor, you've preached about what makes a cuss word a cuss word and all of that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about heaven or hell issue. I'm talking about you can act like you're smarter by just using the right words. Me saying a bad word wasn't probably going to send me to hell, but it made everybody think, man, he don't have a good vocabulary. He uses the same bad word over and over and over again. And my mom and dad used to tell me, act like you're somebody. But sometimes when you're walking out of bondage, sometimes you don't know how to act free. So you have to ask the Lord to help you break the mentality or the thought processes that once held you into bondage. The next day when they are walking out of Egypt, they were no longer going to make bricks. They've made bricks for 400 years. They don't know what else to do. It's incredibly difficult to leave some things behind and trust that the things I can't wait to see Mila and Riley and Sebastian and Maya and Josie, I can't wait to see how they're going to worship. See, the, the bad thing when you're coming to preach at 50, almost 51, is that I used to be cool and contemporary. And now my kids are telling me that what I thought and experienced as contemporary is now traditional. So I not only love first service, but my kids are telling me I belong in first service. 
That's the important part about us leaving a legacy. What do we take and what do we leave? We want the ones coming behind us to take with them the fortitude and, and the encouragement and the, the commitment to worshiping God with all of their heart, their minds, and their souls at 2nd and Jackson Street. We want them to become committed to reaching a community right here from this corner. We've had multiple occasions throughout our 125 years where we could have relocated to an easier assignment, a more comfortable assignment, but we felt faithful that God had called us to this moment, this community. So what do we take and what do we leave as we move forward now approaching 2019? What are we going to leave in 2018? We need to take the bones of commitment to covenant between us and God, but we need to also leave behind what worked in 2018 because we got to look forward to 2019. So they were walking out carrying the bones of a patriarch from their past. They were having to leave behind the slave mentality, the poverty mentality. See, sometimes when you relocate, you have to change some things on the inside of you because if you don't change it on the inside of you, there's no need to move. You could stay right there. But when God is calling you to a different place, a different location, a different moment in time, sometimes we have to leave some things behind. And sometimes the chains of, of the bondage is not the things that we thought it was. It's not the taskmasters of Egypt. It's not our bad habits. But sometimes it's the way we think and the way we behave. Because here's the ultimate question that I have to ask today. How much faith do you have in God? I'm not talking about you having enough faith to get out of your, your house. And today was easier to get out of your house because we got an extra hour of sleep. Can somebody say amen? But on most Sundays, I'm not talking about a faith just to get you out of the house, to get you to another building. I'm talking about do you really trust God with your life? And you ever notice that when you're not going through anything, it's incredibly easy to trust God? But the moment that you think that God should do something different than what's going on in your life, does anybody else struggle with doubt, confusion of why God isn't listening to me? See, that's what happens. The text says that as they were leaving, God decided to do something that was not natural to them. See, the natural thing for us is to find, it's a natural thing in nature, is to find the path of least resistance. That means it's easier for us to try to evaluate a situation and look for what seems to be the easiest path from point A to point B and go that way. Even animals in the woods, you'll find out when a tree blows down on a path that they want to travel on, it confuses them because they want to go down. They, they won't jump over it. They'll go around it because they want to go through the path of least resistance. You ever thought that God should listen to you? Because you have a million people walking out of slavery into freedom, and the Bible says this, He took them the long way. He didn't take them the shortest way. Because there was something, uh, Tom, if you guys can find that scripture in the outline and put it up. 
It, it is um, the reason they didn't take him the, the, the shortest way because there was a, a people in the shortest path called the Philistines. And these slaves didn't know how to fight yet. And he says, if you go the short way, look at the scripture. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near, meaning closer. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He was telling them, I'm no more than you know. And you think you know where you're going, and you've got a promise of where you're going, but the path in getting you there has to be more challenging than what you think because I've got to train you on the way. You don't know how to fight yet. So if I take you the shortest route, you're going to meet the enemy before you're trained. And if you meet the enemy before you're trained, war is going to break out. You're going to lose the war and run back to slavery. So they didn't know this. Like we don't know sometimes when God's leading our life. And we think that it's the devil that's taking us through this bumpy road in life. The crisis, the, the moment where, where pain is evident. And sometimes we're giving the devil so much credit for all the things we're going through, not realizing that it's not the devil at all, it's God. Because he's training us for our tomorrow. See, there's one thing about the enemy that you need to understand right now. I want you to know that from right this second, you get in your mind that God will, can always overcome and be more powerful than the devil. So he doesn't have to prove himself, but he knows he has authority over the devil, but he has to teach you that you have it. And sometimes it's teaching you how to participate. You ever wish that God would just give you everything via a miracle? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It's like microwaves. It's like fast food. It's like a drive-through window. Do you realize what happens in a drive-through window? It's one of the most incredible things that we get the privilege of doing. We literally stop at a sign. We order a full meal and drive for 10 seconds around the corner of a building and expect it to be ready. Try that at home. Try walking into the kitchen. <laughs> Husbands, look in the eyes of your wife lovingly and say, I would like a hamburger, fries, and a Coke. And then go into the living room and turn around and come back and say, I'm ready for it. You will find out that that's a privilege. <laughs> but that's what we want God to do all the time. God, just do it. And I remember riding with an 80-something-year-old man named Pastor Jack Hayford when I was pastoring in Northwest Florida and we were about to start a building program for a brand new facility. And he said, David, are you ready? I said, yes, sir, we're ready. He said, you know, God's not sending angels to build that building. And while you're building it, you're still going to have to minister to your community and he's not going to send a single angel with a bag of groceries to feed the hungry in your community. He's waiting on you. He said, when you put your hand to the plow, when you put your, the hammer in your hand, you'll find out the building will start going up. But you can have all the building material you want in the world, put it in a semi-truck, and you can gather as many saints as you want to and pray around that semi-truck, and God will not the next day have a building for you. He wants you to learn how faithful He is by your participation in what He's doing.
See, sometimes we don't want to fight the devil. We just want God to do it. And God's here telling us, I, I, I know how to win, but I'd like for you to experience winning. And so to do that, he's taking them the long way around to teach them how to fight. They don't even have weapons hardly. They're slaves. But God tells them to do something in advance. And this is where I want to teach a little bit to you today. Is that God says, when you walk out of here, I want you to walk out. The Bible says, in martial array. In newer versions, it says, ready for war. And what he was telling them is, I want you, you are not capable of being an army, but you're going to walk like one. He said, I want you to put three tribes in the front to the north. I want you to put three tribes to the west, three tribes to the east, and three tribes to the south. And I want you to walk in unison as you leave. You say, well, pastor, that don't make sense. Why is God asking me to do so many detailed things? Because he wants you to understand he is sovereign and knows more about your tomorrows because he's already there and you haven't got there yet. What deflected a lot of the fighting that would have happened at the very beginning of their journey was the sound of how they walked. Who wants to go fight a, 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 a people of over a million that know how to walk in unison? They look like an army, sound like an army, even though they didn't know how to fight like one. Can you imagine the thunder of every step when everybody, a million people, is stepping at the same time? It's incredible. We have finally hit our stride at CityGate. We don't have city gators from first service and city gators from second service and city gators from our outreach. We've just got city gators and we're learning how to walk all at one time. We may attend different times in a, in a, at our facility, but we're learning how to walk together. I had uh, Al talk to me the other day about the significance of what he saw at one of our memorial services. He said, for the first time, I didn't feel like we were different. Two young men, teenagers, lost their dad, but yet CityGate was walking in unison and they could feel the unity. Brought them comfort. You know, we had volunteers the other night, October 31st, handing out candy, running games from this, from our 9 o'clock hour. Some dressed like superheroes. <laughs> walking in unison. Here's the thing. They went the long way and that took them to the Red Sea. And in going to the Red Sea, they were getting confused because God was taking them the long way instead of the shortest route, even though they, they didn't really understand that God knew more than they knew. But the Bible says this. Before them went a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That represented the presence of God leading them. So when you know you are following God and the path gets hard, don't think it's the devil. It's God taking you through purpose. When pain has purpose, all of a sudden it'll produce something in you you never thought you were capable of doing. That's what my coach used to do all the time. I mean, I was like 135 pounds. And he, would act, and he would convince me that I was 215. I would run through a wall. I remember one time in spring practice, because I was fast. I played defensive back. And I remember one time, I was mean too. 
And I remember one time in practice that you would have to be running, and when he blew the whistle, you had to do what we call belly flops. It means you had to do a push-up and just throw your arms out and hit your stomach. And it seems torturous, but it's developing these muscles right here. It's hardening them up. It's giving you stamina for, to prepare for the fourth quarter when everybody else is tired and your side is hurting and you've overcome the pain of the process. You understand you're ready for the last minute. And I remember, and then he would blow the whistle again and you had to just stay there in push-up position, building these muscles right here. And he was so far in my head that I ended up in an anthill. And I refused to let go as I got bit all down my arms by ants. But he had convinced me I was tougher than whatever I was going to encounter. See, sometimes when you know that God is leading you, he's like that coach that's taking you down that harder path, knowing that you're fixing to walk through some of the challenges of your life. God isn't preparing you for some of the challenges just because life is cruel. He's preparing you for the challenges that you could walk through knowing that you still have a faith in a God that he has not abandoned you and that you are going to be a testimony of his faithfulness because others are going to walk through difficult challenges as well and they're going to be looking to you and seeing your God in you when you don't give up. Because the first thing that happens when you're going in a direction that you don't know God is navigating you is the devil shows up. Let me teach for two minutes. Just because you find the presence of God doesn't mean that the devil's afraid of, of attending. The pillar of cloud was there by day, fire by night. The Egyptians come back. Pharaoh's heart had hardened and he said, go kill them all. Chariots now, horses are chasing them, pursuing them. And the moment that they see the dust cloud and recognize it's the Egyptian army, the strongest army in the world, they have a choice. And they fail the test. They start talking like a slave. They're overcome by fear. Said So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers, all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them. And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and all the horsemen in his army overtook them and encamped at the sea by, and I'm not even going to attempt that, by a place near Egypt. Just because you have God with you doesn't mean that the devil's not going to try to distract you by his presence as well. And the Bible says this, they responded with fear. They start to cry. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they started to complain with Moses. And they started to, uh, to respond because they haven't learned how to talk without the slavery mentality yet. And they start saying crazy stuff like, Hey, why did you bring us out here to get us killed? Why did you, why, we could have died if the, if the the goal was to die. We could have died in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to this desert to die? It would have been better for us to just stay slaves. 
All because the devil showed up. Hadn't been any fighting yet. All he did was show up. You haven't lost anything yet. He just said boo. And they start talking with fear, not faith. That's the question I want to ask you. What happens when the devil shows up in, the, in one of those triumphant moments where you and God are traveling down this path, getting trained, and you're ready to conquer hell with a water pistol. You're ready to change the world. And all of a sudden the devil shows up and goes, boo. Well, let's go back to singing our three songs. Let's get comfortable again. Let's, uh, Pastor, you know any poems? Let's go back to just, you know, can you just read your text? We, 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 we just, you know, no, I can't. There's too many lives hanging in the balance. There's too many generations that are coming behind us to get comfortable again. What he wants to do is show up, say boo, and let us go back to what we used to be. But we will refuse to do that because in doing so, we will have forfeited the generation that will come. Because if we don't name them, the culture will. And I refuse to let culture name my children. Mila Rose will be a mighty woman of God. Riley Ann, mighty woman of God. Maya will think of that it is normal to get outside the walls of a church, not be confined to inside the walls of a sanctuary. She'll think that's normal. We think it's cutting edge. But by the time we raise her up, she'll think it's normal. Because they forgot one thing. Miss Judy, you can get ready to play me something. They forgot one thing. The cloud never left. They got so focused on the enemy approaching that they forgot that the sovereign God was still in camp with them. And you know what happened? The Egyptians started to pursue and they got so close that they were going to take them over and kill them. And God said to them, there's two things. I'm going to go back to my outline here to finish strongly. He's, the Bible says the cloud moved from in front of them to behind them and stood between them and the invading army that was pursuing them. And at that moment where it positioned themselves behind them, darkness struck the land and the Israelites had provided through the cloud light, but the Egyptians were caught in darkness and for a whole day they couldn't pursue any further. God gives Moses some instructions. He said, tell them to do two things. Now, I'm sure I could ask everybody in here and they could tell me the most predominantly remembered thing. How many of you would have said, Moses told them because God told them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God's going to fight for you. Do you know that God, before he fought for them, commanded them to do one thing? He said, the only thing I want you to do before you stand still, quit talking. Look right there. You shall never see again the, the Egyptian army. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. He said, if you really want me to fight for you, quit talking like slaves and Start talking like the people that I have brought out of the bondages of Egypt. And don't forget that the cloud is still with you in the camp. You've gotten so focused on the enemy coming your way that you're starting to shake in your boots and talk like slaves again. Be quiet. 
I can't do what I need to do as long as you're talking. And the Bible says that he said one thing to him, going down to the conclusion. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night a pillar of fire giving them light that they may travel by day or by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from them before the people. And then when we go down to the conclusion, he says this. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? You ever been there? I have. You ever had God really talk to you sternly? Well, maybe you haven't. Maybe it's just me. Have you ever talked to one of your kids sternly? When they got into the crybaby mode? Anybody raise boys? See, I couldn't have done that to girls. That's why I didn't have any. I'd have said, baby, daddy will get you whatever you want. But boys, I had an ability to say, my dad, he's this guy right here. He had a saying. When he had found, he was compassionate and he would let you cry for a minute. But then when he had heard enough, he'd say, okay, I've heard enough. And that meant that if you don't quit crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. That was the interpretation. I had the gift of interpretation at like 10 where he said, if you want to cry, I'll let you cry, but it is my pleasure to give you something to cry about. So your crying has a purpose. Or he would just look at me and go, just dry it up. You've cried long enough. Now it's time to get moving. And God was telling Moses, tell the people to quit crying out. God, save us, save us, save us. I'm here, I'm not going to abandon you. quit crying and the Bible says this and move forward the Bible said and the Lord said to Moses why do you cry to me tell the people of Israel to go forward lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the seas and divide it and the people of Israel may go through on dry ground so the water's not moved yet and he tells them quit crying and start moving forward Then he says, as, you're, as the people decide to move forward, their job is to quit talking like slaves and put one foot in front of another. My job is to take care of the Egyptians behind them and take care of the Red Sea in front of them. I'll do the dividing, you do the walking. Isn't it wonderful to look around and see what God is doing? Look throughout this congregation. First of all, look at how many people we got. Then look around and see that there's young, old. There's a demographic of people coming together of multi-generations. You can look around and say, you know what? And it used to sadden me. I got some good compliments this last week. They said, Pastor, you're hitting your stride in first service. You're preaching to us like you preach in second. You know why? Because I, got, I, I, I realized that it was time to quit crying. Because I, I, I would come in on second service and I would look throughout the sanctuary and I would think of people that used to sit in certain places and they just couldn't make the trip. And it isn't that I wanted them to leave, but they just left. And I was crying over them leaving instead of celebrating the people that God was bringing in. So 
Hey, if they have come and gone, I don't wish them any ill will. I hope they're at a place where they are finding the fellowship of an almighty God and they are happy. But I don't have them to lead. I've got you to lead and we are going to keep moving forward even if it's towards the Red Sea because God is with us. And I'm not going to cry any longer about who's not with us. I'm celebrating who is with us because it keeps growing every single week. somewhere and God is taking us it's been the longer way can somebody say amen but he has trained us during this journey to celebrate the victory not that God can provide because we know the story you know some people you can stand to your feet with me you know some people always look at the glass half empty they bother me a little bit I'm like, you know, you miss the whole opportunity. It's half full. We got some skeptics of Scripture that says, Pastor, well, it really wasn't dry ground because the place where historically they said that they crossed is only about six inches deep. Okay. I don't believe it. I believe it was dry ground, but let's go with it. Six inches deep in the mud. Okay. Million people walk across six inch ankle deep in the mud. I don't believe it. But what is more incredible is God drowned a whole Egyptian army in six inches of mud. Because from that day forward, the Egyptians no longer pursued them. I need you to help me today. We're going to celebrate the last sermon. The last time I finally, I believe, been released from the Lord to never preach on this topic again. We are not going to preach about what we used to have ever again. We are going to celebrate where we're going moving forward. Because where we're moving forward, God has intended us to get there. And we no longer have to be depressed about what we used to be. Because God has given us a brand new identity in who we are right now. And we are moving forward being led by the cloud by day and fire by night. And God is going to take care of our enemies all along the journey. Can somebody say amen? So with that, let us pray. Father, sometimes we don't understand why. We don't understand why you're taking us the long way. and We get confused because you know more than we do. And we think we have an understanding of who we are. But you know when it's the proper time to teach us things. And sometimes we think that all painful things 
are teaching us that the enemy is attacking us, but sometimes we are walking through painful things to prepare us for strength in the time that we have to truly face our enemy. And at that moment, we will not respond with fear, but we will respond with faith. And Father, that we will realize that you have never abandoned us, that the cloud by day and the fire by night never went anywhere. Just because the Egyptian army showed up, we are not going to get distracted in our future when the enemy decides that he is going to come and try to intimidate us. We are going to have faith in a God that is with us no matter where we are. So we will resolve ourselves not to be intimidated, not to be broken, not to want to go back to what we used to be or what we used to have, but we will continue steadfast towards the position you are leading us in to see generation after generation conquer darkness through the authority of the power of the gospel and the price of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit from 2nd and Jackson Street for another 125 years if you tarry, raise up the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, the pastors. Father, allow us to see our kids become what we have been in our past in our future and I give you the praise honor and glory in Jesus name and everybody said amen so pastor what are we looking for I can't wait till there's 17 people to get baptized in first service at 915 I can't wait until we see salvations every single Sunday that's where we're going can somebody celebrate by giving the Lord a praise offering? God bless you. Have a great afternoon and be blessed today.